Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 266. I've got a recurring guest on today. I've got Dr. Jim Taylor. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Great to be back, Brenton. Always fun. Got to be one of the most favorite guests on the podcast. I get a lot of comments when you when you are on and I see people in the, the change rooms at the pool I go to, they said, oh, that, you know, that podcast you had recently was really good. And I've had a lot of comments about the times that you've been on. So on today's episode, I want to talk about pain and motivation and not motivation in a rah-rah sense where we talk about you got to be dedicated, you got to be committed. I mean, that's, everyone knows that stuff, but what are some actual strategies to increase your motivation to have more success in your swimming or, or triathlon to get yourself to the pool more often and and just to feed that motivation so we're going to talk about those topics but before we jump into that you recently came back from the world championships yep. competed in the super sprint and olympic distance triathlon there and had some really good success with a third in the super sprint and a ninth in the olympic for your age group so what was that experience like was that your first world champs that you've been to it was my, actually my second i did montreal which is the sprint and mixed team relay events june so this is, but it's, it's still pretty new to me. And this was in Abu Dhabi, which caused a lot of anxiety for Team USA in terms of just, you know, what's allowed and, and a lot, you know, sort of the cultural political differences, which turned out to be quite negligible. It's, it's very Westernized there, but it was the, the challenge. It was very hot. And, and so everybody had to sort of figure out how to deal with, with the heat. You know, we were racing in the middle of the day and it was about 90 degrees out Fahrenheit. So, so it was, it was, it was warm and the water was warm, although relatively pleasant, very salty, no wetsuits. And so that always presents a challenge for those of us who are swimming challenged, which is swimming is not one of my strengths, but um, thanks to you, I've improved a lot and I've been working on it. But two of my goals when I race is one, to execute my plan well. And except for in, in each race, one small thing, actually one small thing cost me second place in the super sprint, but I blew my flying mount, but, and, but, but overall I executed really well. And then after the race, regardless of the result, to just look back and go, you know, I left it all up. And, you know, we always think we can go faster, but. I did the best I could, and I was really happy with the result. Being on the podium was super exciting, and it just gets me fired up more for, for next year and see what I can do next year by improving in, the, in my swim and in my bike, especially because I'm a runner. Fantastic. Well, that, that leads pretty well into our first topic of pain because the super sprint, it's just all out from the get-go. There's, there's no real real pace in yourself. It's just an all-out sprint, and it's hard work. And I mean, I've done some some sprint events in my brief triathlon career, and they were painful. I look at those and go, my God, it's just your heart rate is almost at max for the entire duration of the race. And it's something that can be very painful. So I want to talk about some strategies for dealing with pain and how you interpret it, because I think it's all about how you view it. Because I see people who have done sport for a long time and they're fit, they're reasonably healthy. Majority of those people seem to interpret physical pain or you know, training pain as this is a good thing. This is something I actually look forward to because it means that I'm working hard, I'm getting fitter, and I actually get a, a little bit addicted to that physical pain of exertion in training. Whereas somebody who's been on the couch for five years and they're trying to get fit, they're trying to lose weight and develop this habit of exercise, they see it in a very different way. So I think that goes to show that you can interpret it differently, first of all, but the mental, the, the way that you view it, 
and that mental sort of training that you, that you put yourself can actually help you look forwards to that pain that you're going to encounter in training. So with your background, the people you work with, what, what are some of the things that you've seen that have helped people make that transition to looking forward to the pain that they'll experience in training? Sure. Before we get to strategies, I think it's really helpful to understand what pain is and why we feel it. And that even though, it's a, even though it doesn't feel good, it's actually really important. One of the best quotes I've heard came from Greg LeMond, the Tour de France, three-time Tour de France, France winner said, the more fit you get, the, it doesn't it hurt less, it just, you just go faster. And, and so there's, it's sort of a little more rewarding. But let's keep in mind that, that pain evolved for a purpose. Then, and it was, it was basically occurred to help us survive. So when we felt pain, that was a warning that our life was in danger. So we should get away from whatever we were doing. And so that worked on the Serengeti 250,000 years ago when we first became homo sapiens human beings. Because if we felt pain, it's like, okay, I need to get away from this thing that's causing the pain because I want to survive. The problem is, is that evolutionary response that worked back then really well, doesn't work so well now because we want to feel pain. And so, so when we experience pain and we push through pain, we're actually resisting billions of years of evolution telling us to stop. And that's not an easy thing because it's, it's very deeply ingrained in us. Another thing, key thing to keep in mind, and this goes again to what you t- suggested about attitude, is that, that we, if it didn't hurt, we wouldn't do it. So part of the satisfaction of swimming events, of triathlons, is that it hurts. And, and it, as a general rule, the more it hurts to a point, the more satisfying it is because it means we're working harder. And also, of course, when we're hurting, we feel heroic. And I, I always think of like Lionel Sanders. He's one of the top triathletes in the world. He's known for suffering. And the problem is he, he uses that almost, it, everybody thinks he's super heroic, which he is because he can suffer so much. But he also suffers so much that it actually hurts his performances. He overtrains. He pushes too hard. And so there's, there's a balance of wanting to feel pain and also, but too much is bad. Another thing is to distinguish between exertion pain and injury pain. And so it's really important that to be able to tell the difference because if we're experiencing injury pain, we want to make sure that we stop. And so I went for my first run after, after Abu Dhabi the other day on Friday and my Achilles started hurting and it wasn't exertion pain. And so I stopped. And so I, I listened to my body and that was a good thing. It prevented me from, from maybe sustaining a serious Achilles injury. At the same time, there is quite a bit of difference between exertion pain and injury pain. So injury pain tends to be very acute, very, very powerful. And it doesn't stop when you stop. Exertion pain, it hurts, but it's not like, it's not like getting stabbed in the eye or something. Not that I've ever been stabbed in the eye, but I assume it hurts really badly. <laughs> and, and exertion pain, when you stop, it goes away. And simply the fact that you know how to control it, here's a really good strategy, is just being aware that I can stop my pain. That makes it more manageable. There's been a lot of research on that, that simply the perception of control over your pain helps you experience more pain, which is in training what we need to be able to do. And so if you realize that, you know, if it gets really, really bad, I can stop. That sense of control enables us to, it basically sort of ratchets the pain down. It doesn't remove the pain, but it ratchets it down. So, so that, that is one very simple tool is just knowing and reminding yourself that, hey, this is within my control. Mm. Keep going. So another thing about pain is that we think of pain as, as physical, but we actually filter it through our mind. 
And that's exactly what you were referring to and how we perceive the pain. And so if we perceive the pain as, you know, this mighty effort as we pursue our goals, that pain feels really good. But if, for example, you know, you're doing Kona or you're in a race and, and you're just dying out there and you're getting slower, that totally changes the dynamic where then it's like, I'm getting beat here. And then all of a sudden the pain hurts a whole lot more. And the natural reaction, of course, is to want to stop because you're not getting anything out of it. So, so that attitude and that approach to why you're experiencing the pain, having a reason for the pain is really, really important. Mm. Part of it for me, I think, because competing wise, I do a few races here and there, but right now with where I currently am, I'm not working towards a, a big race or yeah, a big event right now, but I, I love training and I, I love to, to work hard. And part of that for me, I think is, I see it as part of my identity right with how i want to be viewed by others how i want to feel about myself and having that identity as a of being a swimmer of being someone who's generally quite fit to me that's that's important and that's why i find it difficult to stop swimming if i go a day a day or two without exercise i'm itching to get to get back at it not only because of how it makes me feel but i think because of how i view myself and how i want to be perceived as, as well what role does identity having yeah. in that as well. Yeah, a, a huge one. Because if you perceive yourself as an athlete and and that if, if you're not experiencing that which is associated with being an athlete, let's a swimmer triathlete, then you don't you just don't feel as good about yourself. And it becomes a bit of I don't like the word use the word addiction, but because addiction has negative consequences, but it becomes a habit, a practice in your life that it's how you feel good about yourself. It's part of your self-esteem. It's part It's how you achieve your goals, all those things. And so if you identify yourself as somebody who works hard, who can, who can suffer some and who has goals they're working toward, then when you experience pain, that's simply, that's affirming. So you want to embrace that rather than like, oh my gosh, this hurts so much. I need to push this away. So experiencing pain uh, exertion pain in training and in races is actually a, a positive thing because it makes you feel good about who you are. And yes, there's no doubt, just like the Lionel example, where people perceive you as like, oh my gosh, he can suffer. <laughs> and so, and we, we all like to hear, you know, we like to all think we're, we're super tough and, and, you know, to varying degrees, but anybody who swims or is a triathlete, you know, we're at the, high, the higher end. Because, you know, most people are sitting on their couch watching TV and there's not a lot of suffering going on there, although that would be suffering for us. So, so there's no doubt that, I, that identity plays a role in how you manage it. So if you perceive yourself as someone who likes to feel pain in your training and suffer because it helps you, it helps validate you, then that helps you deal with it. And it, it also motivates you to, to get out. One of the things that was interesting when I had Gustav Eden on the podcast a little while ago, and I asked him about some listeners sent in questions. And one of the questions was, when did it start to hurt with his Ironman World Champs race? And he said, at no point did it really start to hurt, which is an in interesting perspective because you say, look at someone like Lionel, who, and a lot of the other guys who would have been working their ass off, they would have been suffering yeah. perhaps halfway through the through the run. And here's good stuff. Yeah, okay, if you're having a good race, it generally feels good, you're relaxed, and you race well and it doesn't hurt as much when you are having a really good race. So I think maybe that's part of it. But for him, he's not looking to push himself to the wall in that race and just look to be hurting as much as he can because he knows he's got the most out of it. For him, a smart approach is to sustain the right level of, of output and hold that throughout the race. And then he knows he's going to be able to you know, have the, the best success in that race because he's 
hasn't blown up halfway through the through the run, which I thought was an, an interesting thing. And obviously they do work hard in training and at the right times, but it was a, a different approach to the racing side of things where, especially for that distance, it's more about just sustaining the, the same heart rate and, and output for the entire race, whereas others are looking to just, you know, put themselves to the wall. Yes, it's a great observation. And just by coincidence, I, I was doing an hour spin indoors and I was watching Gustav and, and Blumenfeld being interviewed by Rich Roll. And, and they talked about that and how it used to be, an Kona especially, was about just like getting through it and surviving. But now it's like racing its start to finish. Is and the fact that, you know, he crossed the finish, having set a new course record, but not falling down and collapsing, um, says a couple of things. One, he's in phenomenal condition. And, and one thing that Norwegians do is they train at extremely high levels of volume and intensity. And whereas, you know, some of the other athletes, they just can't handle it. And so, so, and, but also that he was staying within himself and he left a lot of time on the course, which is a little scary. So really they are both re- rewriting the long distance triathlon book on, on how to train and how to approach races. And because the idea of, of racing for seven and a half hours, meaning going hard, pushing yourself is, is a strange idea and not struggling at all totally sane within themselves is a remarkable thing. Whereas, you know, you see others in, in these races who are just dying on the bike and they're just walking the run and they're suffering. They're in a lot of pain. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only 228 US dollars. Now, they've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have that one-year membership included for free. And then if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only $15 US a month where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and their custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data of the goggles, so you'll never lose access to that. So if you'd like to swim without stopping to look at a pace clock or your watch and get live metrics right inside your goggles, including your time, distance, pace. They are right there in your goggles with form goggles. I've used these for over 12 months now and I'm a huge fan of these goggles and use them for a majority of my sessions and find them very helpful, especially for gauging my time, my effort and my pace. And I think it's a very helpful tool for the majority of swimmers that I would normally work with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of form goggles using our special link, formswim.com forward slash effortless, or use the coupon code effortless at checkout. You mentioned earlier about the knowing that for exertion pain, you can just simply stop and then it's going to, to go away and that can help you continue to push for longer. Are there any other strategies that can help someone continue to push through yeah, the pain, yeah. particularly in a, in a race? Yeah. So, so this is sort of a, a preparatory approach and it has to do with wording and language. So I'm a word guy. I do a ton of writing, a ton of speaking. Words for me are very powerful things because they act as the filter through which we process the world in many ways. And so a number of years ago, I was out for a ride, long ride in Northern California, really hilly with a bunch of guys. We finished and one of the guys says, man, that was a suffer fest out there. That was a suffer fest. And at the time I had been giving talks to a leukemia society team in training. I don't know if they have that in Australia, but it's basically where somebody signs up and they get coached in preparation for a marathon or a triathlon and things like that. I was giving talks to them, just volunteering my time. 
And, and so at, at every meeting, they'd have somebody who has cancer and is, is getting treated. And so I started thinking, suffer fast, suffering. Is what we do as triathletes and swimmers suffering? And I decided it wasn't. Because suffering is unbelievable pain that you can't control and that has dire consequences, like somebody with cancer. And then I thought, well, okay, how about we, we just call it pain? You know, pain fest, that doesn't sound so bad either. But then I thought, you know, pain, well, pain is like a serious injury. Like I, get hit, I got hit by a car a little over a year ago and had some broken bones and that was pain. And it's, it's different than suffering because it will go away sooner or later, you heal, hopefully. So I decided pain wasn't really what we experience. What I decided we experience is discomfort physical discomfort. And when, I, when I've mentioned this to different, tri, different triathletes, they go, you know what, that doesn't work for me. And then I thought like, oh, you know, that was a discomfort fest out there. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, it doesn't work, does it? So I decided, okay, we'll call it pain, but we know what it really is. So, so in starting off a painful experience like a race, if you can put that in perspective, it's like what I'm going to experience out there, you know what, it's not suffering, and it's not really even pain, but we'll call it that. It's just a lot of discomfort. And, and that alone changes it too, because there's a big difference in how you interpret discomfort, which is uncomfortable, but it's not like, like that, versus pain and suffering, which is really bad. So if you go in a race saying, oh yeah, this is going to be pretty uncomfortable out there. Like in Abu Dhabi, it was 90 degrees. It was hot. It was uncomfortable. So that, that sets the tone also of that, okay, it's not going to be that bad. And when you don't think of it as that bad, you think, okay, but I can handle it. And it goes back to what I said earlier about being in, feeling like you're in control of it. So they had cooling stations in Abu Dhabi with this little tent in this van where you, if you wanted to stop and go into it and you get sprayed with cool water and it's like, that's a way you could control it. So, so those are some things you can do to set yourself up. But then once you get out there, what can you do? So there's been a lot of interesting research on pain. And what they found was that how you think about pain and how you, the emotions you connect with pain have a big impact on how you experience pain. So for example, they found that people who associated negative thinking. So if, if you know, if you're out there and maybe it's an open water swim or the start of a swim in a bike race or in a triathlon, excuse me, and you're hurting and you go, you go, oh man, this, I hate this out there. This is terrible. This is no fun. I don't want to do this you're going to feel more pain. And also if you associate negative emotions with pain, you feel more pain. So anger, frustration, despair, those kind of emotions. And we've all experienced these things out there. Any endurance athlete has. And so you're going to feel more pain. The other side of that is that if you associate positive thoughts and positive emotions with pain, you feel less pain. Now, Brendan, it doesn't go away, but it just takes the edge off a little bit, turns the dial down a little bit, which means you can keep going. And so saying things like, oh yeah, this is why I'm out here. You know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't hard, everybody would do it or nobody would do it. Or this means I'm striving toward my goals. You feel less pain. <clears throat> also emotionally, but here's a tough one. When you're really hurting out there, what positive emotions can you possibly associate with it? Fun? No. Excitement? No. Joy? No. Happiness? No. I can only think of two, Brenton. You want to take a shot or you want me to give it up? Nah, I'll let you give it up. <laughs> okay. Pride and inspiration. So, so it, being inspired, like, I'm working really hard. That's inspiring for me. And that'll tie in with motivation, which we'll talk about in a little while. And second is pride. Is like, I'm proud of myself for pushing through that heat in Abu Dhabi and, 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 and getting the results I did. 
And so those emotions, those thoughts then trigger a different physiology. So when you feel those positive emotions and those positive thoughts, it releases endorphins, our body's natural painkillers. So you literally are feeling less pain. And so these are some tools that are really practical. So how you think about it has a big impact on your experience. And I'll be honest, like I think I told you in a previous podcast, I didn't grow up swimming. I didn't, I'd never done, you know, lateral breathing or a lap until I was well into adulthood. And so relatively recently, as recently as last year, I'd start swimming in a triathlon and just immediately be going like, boy, I do not want to be here. This is no fun. You know, half an hour of this, gosh, I just want to get it done with. And I realized that that just, it was just terrible for me. It was just sucking the life out of me. So this year I've, I've trained myself. And of course, given what I do for a living as a sports psychologist, I have to sort of practice what I preach, but I really worked on positive attitude and just saying like, oh yeah, I'm keeping it going. Let's keep it going, moving along. Let's finish strong, whatever. And, and amazingly enough in Abu Dhabi in the Olympic event, I had the most enjoyable swim I've ever had. Like I actually enjoyed being out there. And I know, you know, you grew up swimming, so you just love it innately, but there are a lot of swimmers out there, a lot of triathletes who didn't grow up swimming or lousy swimmers. And so it's hard to stay positive in that, in those situations. So, but it takes mm -hmm. practice. You have to exercise that, that ability in those situations, especially if you tend to go to the dark side, if you don't mind the star Wars reference. So those are some, there's a couple of really practical tools. They're great. On that point of not loving the swim initially is I had a guy come to a clinic or a no, he came to a follow-up filming. So he'd done a clinic before and then he came for a, a checkup basically. And he said, Prior to coming to the clinic, he hated the swim part of the triathlon. It was just, he struggled to get himself to the pool. He came to a clinic and figured out what he needed to do to get faster and what to focus on. And for him, that helped him love, love the swimming portion of it. And I found it funny because he said, I should probably get on the bike and start running a bit more because I've just been doing way too many swims each week because it's what he really enjoys now, which is... And I think that's the case, certainly, if you figure out what you need to be doing to get better and you see that progress and improvement, and this will feed into the motivation, I guess, is that's a real motivator you know, to, to continue to do that that thing. And it doesn't matter if it's something that originally you hated, when you do have that within any area of life, it can actually draw you more to, towards it. But before we go into that, I really enjoy that part about your reference point of, you know, it's like, oh, what's real suffering? Having cancer, having to go through chemo, that's real, that's real suffering. And so when you've got that reference point of what real pain and suffering is, you look at what you're doing. All right, I'm choosing to go and do this triathlon. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it's nothing. And it's the same with like a, I sort of look at it with long distance swims. So for me, prior to five, six years ago, the longest swim I had done would have been a 10K training session. But really like for me, if I did a 5K swim, I'm like, oh, that's a long swim. And then I talk to these people on, the, on my podcast, they've done, Chloe McArdle, I think she did 118 kilometers, broke the world record for the longest continuous swim. And I look at that and go, all right, well, surely I can do 20K. Surely I can do do that. So you have that different reference point of what you, know, what you consider to be hard or difficult or challenging. And I think it's a good way to help you see what you're doing as being easier or to take it on. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good approach. Yeah. Perspective just changes everything. If you just look at, look at it in a different way and you made a really good point with respect to the fellow who just improved a lot. So if you're in the pool and I'm struggling with this a little bit now, and I'm just like working my butt off and suffering in a lot of pain in my training, swim training, and I'm not getting faster, that's hard to keep going. So if you show improvement, 
then it's like, oh yeah, it's worth it. It's like, you know, yeah, I worked really hard and I felt a lot of pain, but it was worth it because I'm faster now. So if you can connect those efforts with those goals, then it's really motivating. It's like, I want to get out there again and I want to work hard. So that's really valuable. And another interesting thing is your physiology. So when you feel pain, you feel it in your body, obviously. And again, through evolution, our natural tendency when we feel pain is to brace ourselves to tighten up and hold our breath. And as I talked about before we got started recording, you know, in the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, if you're about to be hit by a club with a, by a rival tribesman, you definitely want to do this. The problem is that reaction of tightening up to protect yourself, to increase your chances of survival, doesn't work if you're swimming because you can't swim tight. And you can't swim holding your breath. So a really valuable thing to do when you're tra when you're training, and especially gets hard. So for example, let's say you're doing I don't know ten by 50, 50 as hard as you can. Then then to really focus those last couple when your body starts to tighten up on just being loose and relaxed, and really focus on your breathing. Now breathing is harder in swimming because on running and biking you can breathe whenever you want, but you can't obviously do that in swimming. But it's really useful to have some little like key phrase or keywords you can use. So for me, toward the end of a hard interval set, I'll, my key phrase is long and loose. So I want to you know, really stretch and get a long, a long per stroke and then keep myself loose. So, so when I start to struggle a little bit, I keep that in mind. I'm, I'm repeating myself long and loose, long and loose. And that keeps my body relaxed and it keeps me breathing. And so I'll also make sure big breath I'm on the breathing side. And that has, has the direct physiological effect. So, you know, we talked about thoughts, we talked about emotions, and now we're talking about your physiology. And those are the big three. And so if you can do something about all three of those, you're going to feel a whole lot better and you're going to feel less pain. Mm. But Friday mornings, we do a like a heart rate set and it's quite often hundreds at what, what I'd consider best average pace. So for example, a set that we did not long ago was 24 100s on two minutes, four <laughs> of them best average. So as, as fast as you can maintain across the entire okay. set. And then you got two at recovery. So in total, it's 16 hundreds that will be at you know, best average as fast as you can, you can maintain. And that is, that's a hard set. That's, that's painful where you get this lactic buildup and you've got to really relax throughout the set to try and maintain your, your speed throughout. And every time I'm driving on a Friday morning to the pool, I'm sitting in the car and in my gut, I'm nervous because I know the the pain that I'm going to experience in this session. It's probably the hardest session I do do all week. So I'm a little bit nervous driving to the to the pool. And for me, a few things that have helped me with the motivation to make sure I get there every Friday, but also to make sure that I do my best each time is I just make sure I do a a long enough warm up, a, a decent warm up where I just have time to you know, loosen up and fill the water. If I get straight into it, I will usually blow up a quarter halfway through that main set. So I need a long warm up first of all. But the other thing that's helped a lot is for those sessions, I like to wear the form goggles because that way I can distract myself throughout that session of like, I'm, I'm pushing off. We are in a 50 meter pool. So I'll hit the turn at the 50. I'll see what my split is. And that will just give me something else to focus on. It's like, okay, well, that was that was this time. Now I know I need to come back in this time. And I'm just trying to match that every single time we're doing an all-out 100. So that's been something that is, has helped me have better consistency with my times throughout the, the set, take my mind a little bit off the, the pain because I'm just focused on, on my pacing there. And the other thing that's, that's helped a lot too is I look forward to the very last 
all out or the very last hundred because in that last hundred where we're going fast i want to try and go a second or, or two seconds fast i want to leave it all on the table at the end of it and one of the things that i i love about swimming is when i put everything into that last one i'll generally you know, pick up the kick a little bit more i'll be sitting a bit higher in the water and that first 50 i'm thinking okay i gotta go easy easy speed i've got to just relax that first 50 while just picking up the stroke rate a little bit and then on the way home, I'm just going to build up and I know I'm going to feel it in my my shoulders, my stomach, my legs. I'm going to feel this, this lactic acid. And when I hit it, when I feel that, I go, okay, yeah, there it is. All right, let's just see if we can we can maintain the speed. But I, as best I can, I've tried to train myself to, to look forward to that last 100 because I know what it's going to feel like. But I know at the end of that that I'm done and that's it. And so it's something that, I, that has really helped me just you know, get to those sessions and, and, and do well with them. So there are a few strategies that have helped with my, my motivation throughout, yeah. throughout them. Yeah. And also help you deal with the pain because two really eff- additional eff- effective tools are distraction is if you can just think about other things like, like some people like Lionel, he always has some headphones on when he swims. And so I don't know what he's listening to, whether it's, you know, heavy metal or music or a podcast or something like he's probably listening to you, but, but he's keeping your mind off it a little bit. The problem is with with distractions is you can only distract yourself so long because it's like the pain gets louder and louder and louder until you, you can't ignore it. And there was a number there was research a number of years ago where they where they looked at pain strategies with elite marathoners and and weekend warrior marathoners. They found that weekend warrior marathoners tended to distract themselves. So again, they'd listen to music, they would talk to people, they would do everything they can to keep their mind off it. Whereas elite marathoners, they associated, they focused on the pain and they used it as information. And this is another really good tool. And, and, and it sort of ties in with what you said also in that using the information is like, oh, I'm starting to hurt here. What can I do to adjust my technique, to adjust my stroke rate, maybe breathe the other side, adjust my kick, whatever it might be. So using that information, but gets, it, it gets analytical. You can do things to ease the pain. But also simply engaging that part of your brain, what's called the prefrontal cortex, it, it takes away your the processing of your primitive brain, which is where you process pain. And that's where it's telling you to stop. So simply by getting getting analytical helps you. And this ties in with, with form goggles where you've got this data that by engaging that, you're shifting the circuit away from the primitive brain onto this logical brain, which is, is less emotional and less physiological. And another thing is you suggest is, is distraction, excuse me, is goals having a goal for yourself. So at the end, I'm aiming for that last set and I'm going to push it really hard. And so it's like giving yourself a reason to struggle. So this is, this is why I'm out here. And because I want to get faster and I want to achieve my goals, whatever they might be. So distraction, using pain as information and making adjustments and also connecting them to goals. Like this means I'm working toward my goals. Mm. And in terms of motivation, what are some other strategies that you've seen work really well and that you've used with the athletes that you coach? Sure. Well, motivation is one of the toughest things I work with because I can give athletes tools to build up their confidence, to get them to relax, to focus better. And there's certainly some tools that I mentioned that can help with motivation in the short term. And, but motivation ultimately has to come from within. You've got, you, you just have to have to have a reason for wanting to go out there because there are a lot of things pulling you not, whether it's the pain of a hard workout or for example, I have to swim from 5.30 to 7 in the morning, and especially during the winter when it's cold and it's dark, it's hard to get to the outdoor pool. And, and so again, it's like the, what motivates me then is that my coach puts it in training peaks. And if I don't do it, A, I'm going to 
he's going to look less kindly on me and I'm less likely to reach my goals. Or I spend half my time up in the mountains of, of Northern California where it's six and 7,000 feet. And I don't know if you've ever done interval workouts at that elevation, but there's no joy in it. It's hard. It's way harder. There's 25% less oxygen. And so again, for motivation, one really powerful tool is to tie it to your goals. Another one related to my coach is accountability. Like, like it's on the program. I'm telling it, my, my coach expects me to do it. So I better do it. So that, that can really help a lot. What about strategies to the opposite of motivation? So to have something to steer away from, to move away from, because one of the things that I've found really powerful is yes, you want something to work towards. You want that goal time. You want that, that podium, but also having something that you want to you want to steer steer clear from and so an exercise that i've done in the past is writing down yeah the things i'm going for but also if i don't do those what does that look like and then how do i how do i feel with it if i don't get up and, and swim each day if i just turn into a couch potato how does that look and, and how will i feel as a as a person and to me that that's almost more motivating than having something to work towards yeah to to, to run away from being this, this yeah, couch potato who's overweight, who's not fit, then I'm on deck, I'm coaching and people may not have that much respect for me because I don't look like I'm a swimmer. I don't maybe look like I could do those those things. That, that to me is a really powerful motivator. Okay. It's certainly a strategy that can work. And I know a lot of people use it. I don't think it's the best thing because it's better to work towards something, move towards something, pursue something, than run away from something. And, and like you basically what you do is you're kind of shaming yourself and guilting yourself into it. And again, guilt and shame are very powerful motivators, but ultimately they're not the healthiest. So, so I would say, you know, balance it out. So still have the goals you're working toward and a reason for being out there, but also, you know, use those other things. Like, I don't want to be a slug. I don't want people to think I'm some guy just out of shape and hanging out by the side of the pool. So, so, so that, that can be good, but I, I think a, a positive orientation is generally more important and just, it feels better, I think. One thing we talked about off before the podcast was it's it, people think about motivation as like this rah, rah, let's go kind of thing. But really, there are a lot of different reasons why people swim and do triathlon. And so it's really a matter of figuring out what your motivation is. So some people do it just because of the satisfaction of, of getting better, of, of improving. Others are competitive. They want to beat, do well in a race. Others like the technical aspects of it. Like I loved when I first discovered effortless swimming last year when I was basically didn't know how to swim. I was enthralled with just the technical aspects. So, you know, yeah, high elbow and the recovery. And that was really motivated to see myself um, understanding better how to swim properly and how to, how that makes you faster. And other reasons, you know, some people love being in a master's swim class. So being with other people. So it's a social thing. And so if you have those kind of social needs, then it's really valuable. That's really motivated to know that these people are, are waiting for me. Or if you have a swimming buddy, same sort of thing. You don't want to get up at 5.30 or you don't want to go to go to swim after work late in the day because you're tired. But if you know your buddy's going to be there and he's counting you or she's counting you, well, you're going to go because in a way they're motivating you and you're motivating them. So you both are hold yourself accountable to the other person. Yeah, that's, that's a really powerful one when i was training for rottnest a couple of years ago the 20k swim a friend of lissandra who was a friend of mine she was training for the swim as well every wednesday morning we'd organize to swim at six o'clock in the morning in the in the bay there in melbourne and it was rain hail shine we were going to to do it and there was no question in my mind when that alarm went off in the morning it's not like oh should i get out of bed it's like no you need to go because she's not going to go swim by herself when it's 
or you know, pitch black yeah. and it, it might be chopping everything. So she's relying on you to go. So that that accountability of having only you responsible for being there. Yeah, if it's a group of 10 swimmers and doesn't matter if you don't turn up, it's motivating. But just having that one person relying on you is very much a, a big one. So yeah, I quite like that one. Good, good. And another big thing is just reminding yourself of what your goals are. Because I have the saying that you pay now or you pay later. So you can pay now by doing the work and feeling the physical discomfort, or you can pay later emotionally by not achieving your goals because you didn't do the work earlier. And I can assure you pain now is way less painful than pain later because the pain now, it stops as soon as the workout's done. Whereas the pay later in regret, for example, and disappointment in yourself because you didn't achieve your goals because you didn't do the work, that can last forever. And so really important to constantly remind yourself that when you don't feel like doing it, it's like, well, do you feel like losing? Do you feel like being slow? It's it's your choice. And although I do want to point out that there are some days that, you know, you know, most of the people I work with are pretty darn motivated, whether they're professionals or Olympians or down to, you know, very serious age groupers or, or young, young swimmers and triathletes. And, and it's really important to listen to your body. So there can be under motivation or there can be over motivation. And I'm working with one of the top professionals in the world in triathlon. And he just, he basically thinks if five sets is good, eight will be better. Hmm. And he did Kona and he, Burnham's, he was totally cooked by the time he got there. And so you have to really balance that out of just doing enough, doing what you're supposed to do and not thinking the more is better approach. Mm-hmm. And, and so the fine line, but having those goals is, it provides the reason for why, for, for why you're doing it. And so if you constantly remind yourself, oh yeah, it's, you know, I do not want to get it, get out of bed at five in the morning to go to the pool, but you know what? I have these big goals for next year. So I'm going to go. And another, Brent, another little side thing that, that, that I find is that, that the time, like getting there is the hardest part. Once you're in the pool, you got your workout and, and you sort of do your thing and it's maybe only an hour. Now, obviously if you're, if you're doing a 20 K swim, you're going to have longer workouts. But for me, an hour swim is pretty long, you know, 20, 20, 2,000, yards, something like that. And it's like, it, it takes less than an hour and then it's over. And then you look back and go, that wasn't so bad. It wasn't that long. And so you want to remember that at the beginning when you think it's going to be super hard because it's like, oh yeah, in 45 minutes, I'm going to be done. I can get through this. Mm. And and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, it's a lot easier to get yourself to go out there and do it and do the work. One of the rules I had for myself in training for the Rottnest Swim was I had any session I had planned, it's was if I don't feel like going, you've still got to go. But if you want to get out after 500 meters, you can. So the rule of at 500 meters, that's the minimum you've got to do. And then you can get out if you choose to. And I, I only did it once. There was only one session. And I think I probably went 800 instead of 500. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it today. I cannot be bothered. I'm going to, going to jump out. But that was once over the course of, I don't know, five, six months that I was training towards it and of about five sessions a week. So yeah, it's all right. Once you're there, it's, it's easy. Once you're in the, once you warm me up, you're like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty good. And yeah, I do, in, do enjoy it. So yeah, it's just a matter of, of getting there. And some of the things that helped me have helped in the past is just making that as easy as possible. Pack your bag the night before. I've got my drink bottle, got my bathers, got my towel. Keys are there. Everything's lined up at the door so I can just wake up and I don't need to think. I can just walk straight out the door. Whereas on those occasions where I haven't packed the night before, I'm searching in the dark, trying to not wake up the family, looking for my bathers, looking for, for a towel, opening doors and getting frustrated. I'm like, oh, I can't, yeah, this is, it's all too hard. And 
you know, so just having that preparation actually helps with the with the motivation because it just provides this nice smooth path to do the thing that you want to do. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I have a saying in terms of what you said, well, maybe I'll just cut the workout short. 90% of success is just showing up. And and so if you just show up and he goes, okay, you know, and because I sometimes will do this where I'll, I'll be doing my warm up and I'll go, you know, I'm not really feeling it. I don't think I can do this whole workout, but then I'll say, well, I'll just, I'll just get it going. And then you start, you start doing them like, like I, I have one workout that's like eight one fifties, eight one hundreds and eight fifties hard. And, and so it's like, yeah, you've done two. Oh, I'm three quarters of the way done of the first, of the first set. Then it's like, you're halfway done on the first set and you start knocking them off. And, and, and so you see yourself, you see yourself getting closer to the end. It's like, oh, I can get through this, this, these next four. And so that's another thing that can help with motivation is don't look at the end of the work. Look at just like what you need to do now. So I've got eight hundreds coming up. And so let's just focus on, on the hundreds. And I get the first one done. It's like, oh, it's one less. And then you get another one. And oh, I'm, I'm three quarters of the way done. And so you play these little mind games, but, but once you get in there, then hopefully the motivation kicks in and you do it. Cause like you, I've, I've rarely ever not finished a workout occasionally on an, on the indoor bike where I like, I'm just not feeling it. And my coach has taught me if I'm not feeling it, I'm a motivated guy, stop or just spin or something. Because if you don't do one workout because you don't feel like it, it's probably a good thing. Now, if you do that regularly, well, then that's something you might need to come see me about or something. But, but bottom line is if you're fundamentally motivated and you're not feeling it, that means your body's telling you, don't do it. And, mm -hmm. and you know, swimming is, is, a, is an endurance sport and it's high intensity as well. And it takes its toll. And so if there's one of those days where you just aren't feeling it, then you should listen to your body and then go back the next day and you'll probably have it. Mm. Oh, I've had a lot of those sessions before where it's just, it's not happening. And on occasions I'll, I'll push it out. Other occasions I'll either, if it's a solo session, if I'm there by myself, I was planning to do three and a half, 4K, I might get out after two and a half. I'm just like, yeah, today is not the day. Otherwise, if I'm with the group, I might just, if I need to, put a pool boy in, put some fins on and just sort of sit at the back and just work on good form. If I feel like I'm about to overtrain or like I just haven't had enough sleep and I know it's not worth pushing it, yeah, I'll certainly, certainly do that. Jim, this has been a great episode. I really appreciate you coming on. I love this topic, pain and pain and motivation. It's great to talk about some strategies where people can can use them and some actionable strategies, not up in the air, sort of airy, airy fairy stuff, because you know, that rah-rah motivation stuff, it's good for 10 minutes, but it just doesn't, it doesn't last. It doesn't sustain itself. So for the, anyone listening, where can they find out more about you and get in touch if they're looking to, to work with someone like yourself to help with their performance in whatever sport they're doing? Yes, of course, like everybody else, I have a website. It's drjimtaylor.com, Jim Taylor, or drjimtaylor.com. And on there, I've got 95% of everything I've ever written free on, on my blog. I've got categories of, of cycling. I don't have a swimming category, but I have a triathlon category. And I've got books you can get and contact information. So if people want to ask questions just informally or which people have done actually reached out after listening to our podcasts and or hire me for various reasons, then feel free to do so. Fantastic. Well, this has been episode number 266 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Dr. Jim Taylor, thanks again. All right, be well. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.